This is the day in the calendar of the church that we uh, celebrate Palm Sunday, as you notice as the kids ushered in this morning and laid the palm branches down here. Uh, this morning, we're not going to do the traditional kind of Palm Sunday message, because if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we covered the triumphant entry uh, not too long ago. And one of the things that we noted then, and that is very tough when you're covering um, the triumphant entry, is that at one moment you have all these people in the streets and they're proclaiming Hosanna to the Lord, Hosanna to the Lord in the highest. And that we know that in just a couple of days, these same folks that are lining the streets and proclaiming that the Lord is here, proclaiming this message, will scatter. And one of the things that we see that I think is human nature is that even people who at times proclaim that Jesus is Lord, when times get tough, there's the tendency to scatter. Some of you know, some of you are fairly new. I'm, I'm also a counselor uh, and, until I took the job here. Um, that was my primary job and I was a part-time pastor and one of the things that as I've sat with people who have gone through just some horrific things. If I've sat and counseled with folks in my office who have just been through some things that just would make you shudder at hearing them. One of the things that I have found over the years. That slowly, slowly walking into that pain with them. And talking about. Some of the narrative of the Bible, some of the narrative like somebody like Joseph. If we know the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And then as he was in slavery, as he found his way in Pharaoh's house, as he found his way here in Egypt and that he gained favor. And then all of a sudden, during his rise to power, he was accused um, of trying to uh, have sex with Pharaoh's wife and got thrown into prison. Potiphar's wife, thank you. And got thrown into prison. One of the things that we find there as he's there. Is that when we read the text, sometimes we think that Joseph was just there for like a couple of days. And he was faithful and that God let him out of prison and then he rose back to fame and power. But that's not what happened, is it? Joseph was there for a long time. And we see in the life of Joseph that Joseph really rested on God and his word and God's faithfulness so much so that when he's confronted with his brothers back again after he had gotten out of prison, he utters the words, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That God was at work, that God had a plan, that God had a purpose. Several years ago, Tony Evans preached a sermon series called Pit Stops. And he talked about this, but he also, the story of Joseph, but he also talked about other stories in the narrative of the Bible where we see this over and over and over again of God's people. God's people and God rescuing his people. Joseph dies. And we read in Exodus that his family grows so large, Israel grows so large, that the new power structure in Egypt comes along. 
And they look at these Israelites and how large they are and they enslave them. They take them in and they make them their slaves. They make them do hard labor as to crush them. And then we see God show up again and he raises up Moses and Moses comes in and Moses performs all these miracles. And it's at this point that we get this idea, the setting for our passage today of the Passover where God works this miracle by passing over all of those who put their faith and trust in God, who put the blood on the doorpost that God passed over their households and God used this to rescue His people. And there we see God's people being let go from Egypt The sea splits. They're being chased. The sea splits. God rescues them again. And here, from there on out, we see God's people standing firm in the faithfulness of God, don't we? It's not how it happens. They weren't there in the desert too long until they utter these words, it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt. We are a fickle, fickle people. Over and over again, we see this pattern in the Bible. And as we get to the life of these disciples, if you've been with us and we've been studying in the book of Mark, sometimes you just want to shake these disciples and say, ah, don't you get it? You can trust Him. Look at all that He's done. He's walking with you. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, walking with you. Don't you get it? You can trust Him. And over and over, we find these disciples missing it. And don't you relate to this as well? We've read these words. We know who this God is. We've studied this Bible. And many times we get into a place that's dark, that's difficult, where we feel pressed. And we have a hard time trusting as well. My hope this morning is that as we work through this text, that God may use this text to bolster in you the reality that He is a God that can be trusted. We can follow Him. We can lay our life down and give it to Him. As we start this text, in verse 12, as Mark was reading, we see that on the first day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, His disciples said to Him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And we've talked about the the irony of that it's, it's not by happenstance that the crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord was happening during this time of Passover. And we talked last time as we looked at the the lady who anointed Jesus' body and Jesus said, you are anointing my body for my burial. We talked about that preparations were underway as as the town was busy with preparations for Passover, that we see preparations are underway for Jesus going to the cross. 
And this morning, one of the things that we're going to see is that not only was Jesus being prepared, but we see Jesus preparing his disciples. And think about it. Jesus had told these men over and over, I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise. And they just keep missing it. But here we have Jesus again preparing them. And I want you to see, I want you to see that as Jesus is preparing his disciples, as we look at this this morning, he gives them the grim details. Now, I think we can read this text and miss a vital point. Miss a vital point that we are supposed to understand when we read this text. Let's look at this text. Notice the problem in verse 12. It's Passover. It's a national holiday. His disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? They didn't have a place to eat the Passover. And so notice what Jesus does. He sent two of the disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you there carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now, one of the things that I want you to know, the city was busy. There were a lot of people there. You might think, well, there would have been a lot of men carrying pitchers, but that's not the case. This was not a man's job. This just the times. This is not me making any statements towards you women. But in the Bible, this was the woman's job. A man would have been carrying water and skins. And so it would have been unusual. So what you would have happening is the disciples coming into the town, coming into the city, and they see a man carrying a pitcher of water, and they would have known, oh, this is the guy that Jesus told us to talk to. And then notice what happens from there. This is, this is so scripted. He's carrying a pitcher of water following. And wherever he enters, you say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. And the disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, you may ask a question that some Bible interpreters ask. And that is, is that did Jesus just set this up? Did Jesus sneak off Arrange all this with all these people. For you younger folks, there were no cell phones. So Jesus couldn't call ahead Elijah. He had, would have had to go. And I think it's a little absurd. A lot of Bible teachers want to throw this out there. And I think it's absurd. And I think when we back up from the text and we look at the text as a whole, it's important for us to see what's really going on. Now, let's go back just a little bit. And Kurt referenced this. Remember when Jesus needed a donkey? He did the same sort of thing. He told his disciples, go and you'll find a colt tied up there which nobody who had ever written on. So this isn't an unusual occurrence, first of all. Secondly, secondly, Jesus is the sovereign Lord. And let's back up from this text and let's let's look at the flow of the text in a little bit of a different light and see if you can see this pattern that is emerging. So first in our text, we see 
Jesus telling his disciples, two of them, go, and here's exactly what will take place. And it happened exactly as he said it would happen. They go in verse 16, and they find it just as he had said. Secondly, right from there, they went, they prepared the Passover, verse 17. When it was evening, he came there with the twelve, and notice what the text says. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Immediately, Jesus again predicts the future. He just did it when he sent the disciples into the city, and he just does it again. One of you will betray me. And look how specific it is. Surely they began to be grieved and said to him one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. He's telling them the future. And this isn't a pleasant future. Look at verse 21. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Immediately, Jesus again predicts the future. Not only that He's going to be betrayed by one of the twelve, but He also predicts the future of the end for Judas. And He's saying, woe to this man. The evil that He does by betraying the Sovereign Lord of the universe, it would have been better for Him not even to be born. And it doesn't end there. Notice verse 22. Again, while they were eating, He took some bread, and after a blessing... He broke it and he said, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And we see Jesus saying two predictions here again. One, I am getting ready to be killed. He's giving them this metaphor of the Lord's Supper of my body, my blood is going to be spilled. And then he tells them, I will not drink again of the vine until that day in the kingdom. Again, we have Jesus foretelling the future. And it doesn't stop there. There's another prediction. Look in verse 26. It goes right into it. After singing the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Telling them, preparing them, you will all fall away. And then in verse 28, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. That's pretty specific. Jesus telling them of the future. And then lastly, notice how specific Jesus tells Peter What's going to happen to him? But Peter said to them, even though they may all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. So when we look at this, do we see a pattern? When we look at this text, when we when we step back and we look at this text as a whole, we see the sovereignty of God. 
that Jesus knows the future. And that Jesus is in control. Sometimes we get so caught up with the details of this text that we miss this big theme that even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of sin, it's a sin to deny Jesus. It's a sin to betray Jesus. It's a sin to scatter away from Jesus. That even in the midst of sin, Jesus knows and He's still in control. He knows. He knows that they're going to betray Him. They're going to deny Him. He knows that they're going to be scared for their lives. And He tells them. And I believe that we, you and I, are meant to look at this passage and draw some hope from this reality. That wherever you are this morning, whatever darkness, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship you may be in, one of the things that we are meant to draw strength from is the reality that our Savior knows. We may not ever this side of heaven understand why we're going through the things that we are going through, but be rest assured it is no surprise to the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we are to take hope from that. We can trust Him. Will you trust Him? The disciples were not learning the lesson that Jesus was laying down yet, were they? I mean, you would think if they heard all this, you would think, put yourself in the place of Peter. You would think if you heard all this that you would kind of be on your guard. Oh, all right. Check. I'm not going to deny him. I'm going to prove him wrong. Isn't there a danger in the Christian life? A danger that when things seem to be going all right, when you're having a nice meal with the Savior, you're celebrating Passover, things are good. Isn't there a danger of maybe hitting cruise control and thinking that this is how life is going to be? That maybe God loves me so much that there aren't going to be any waves or difficulties? Maybe that's what was happening in the life of these disciples. He's trying to prepare them and they missed it. I mean, we think back to just what would have been a, just a few days earlier as Jesus was preaching on the Mount of Olives, this longest discourse, and He clearly tells them that while they are in this world, there is going to be trouble. He tells them this horrific tale of what life would look like. He has told them over and over in this Gospel, I am going to die. He tells them specifically here, you are going to scatter. 
He has often told them, we, we, we went back to over and over again, this whole concept that Jesus laid down where it was deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. This is what the road of a disciple looks like. But yet when Jesus, when Jesus lays this down for these disciples, they're shocked. They're perplexed. And in just a few weeks, when we pick this back up, we're going to take a break from Mark next week. When we pick this back up, we're going to see that they did flee. Peter did deny and that Judas did betray. They had the knowledge, but lacked the ability to change in order to stand firm. Don't we sometimes stand over this text? And we say, not me. That Peter's an idiot. I would have stood firm. I wouldn't have denied him. I would go with him to the cross. The reality of our world is that in an instant... Sometimes life can become so dark that it takes your breath away. That in an instant, this world has the ability to throw something at you that in an instant will bring you to your knees. Jesus tells his disciples in the garden stay awake. Pray with me. They just had this wonderful evening. Partaking of the vine with the Savior of the universe. And they sleep and they awake to chaos. That the world had turned literally on its head. And many of you in this room know this experience. Life has done this to some of you. One preacher has said this, that if you're not in the midst of chaos or a trial or a hardship, you're either getting ready to go into one, you're in the middle one of one, or you're coming out of one. This is the life experience. And so this is so vitally important for us to know. And we have to rebuff any kind of smug Christianity that stands up and makes this weird claim that if you're following Jesus, that everything's always going to be all right and that you can just have a smile on your face and it's going to be, all be okay because that's not the world that we live in. In a moment, in a moment, your world can be turned upside down. That's what happened to these men. That's what happened to these disciples. Life has a way of paralyzing us at times. And some of you today are overwhelmed. Some of you are facing things and it just feels like it's going to break your back, that you can't carry it any longer. Some of you are living a life that you didn't expect to be living. Oftentimes I talk with people and this is one of the things that they'll say. I didn't expect the world to be this way. My life to be this way at this time. Here's what I expected. 
Some of you just don't feel like you can get your life back on the trajectory that you want to get it on. It's not as you planned it. And it doesn't seem like there's any way out to get it back on that plane. Some of you have given in. Some of you have blown it. Some of you have turned to things to escape. And you're in the midst of sin. And some of you, some of you, your testimony has just been completely wiped out because of the way that you're living as a result of the things that are going on in your life. And I love this text. Because as we read this text, this text is dripping with hope for you. It's dripping with hope. We read this text, and this text is meant for us, the church, to look back on this text and to be emboldened with the hope that only comes through Christ. And it's to bolster our confidence in the midst of in Jesus, in the midst of foretelling this grim tale of what is getting ready to happen to his followers, embedded in this are these great, wonderful pillars of hope. Look again at verse 22. While they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to them. Take, this is my body. And when he had a cup and he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Brothers and sisters, Christ knew that you could not do it. It's the point of his death. And he is telling us, my body is broken for you. I know what you're getting ready to do. And my body is getting, being broken for you. My blood is going to be spilled for you. Because you can't do it, but praise God, He does it for us. Hope springs eternal. Hope in this text. And not only that, but did you catch the language when He talks about the blood of the covenant? This is the blood of the covenant. And it takes our mind to the passages in the Old Testament like Jeremiah 31 where he says, in that day, in that day, the new covenant is initiated. And when the new covenant is initiated, that is through the Holy Spirit. And I am sending you a helper that will be with you. And brothers and sisters, take hope from this. These same people the ones that scattered. Peter who denied. Listen to this. In Acts 1.8. They're there. That's a miracle in and of itself. And Jesus is speaking to them. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And even the remotest places of the earth. And after that, do you know what happens? These men that scattered and that ran away and denied Jesus go back to the Olivet Discourse and look with me starting in verse 9. They were flogged in the synagogues. They stood before governors and kings for His sake 
as a testimony to them. The gospel was preached to all the nations known at the time. They were arrested. They were handed over. They didn't worry about their life. The Holy Spirit did tell them what to say. They were betrayed by brothers to death. Father and child will rise up against. They were hated because of His name. And they did endure till the end. There's only one thing that can do that. And it's not self-will. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. Praise be to God by the hope that is in this text. And don't miss this. And this may be the most controversial, controversial thing I say, but I think it is so true. And I don't want you to hear me saying this in a, in, a, in a smug way. I want you to hear me saying this as a pastoral in love and care. And that's this. Even in the midst of the darkness, of the difficulty, of being overwhelmed, you have a mission. You have a mission. Your mission as a believer, we believe, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is in you and that your mission, even in the midst of the darkness and the chaos, is to be a witness. That the Holy Spirit has empowered you. That even in the midst of the difficult times, you are to be a witness. So that when people look at you and when people see you suffering, that the goal is that we are to do that in such a way that when people see you and encounter you and they, maybe they know that you're suffering, it's not you that, that's, that's, that's making it through, but that you are doing that in such a way that they see and they know that you are trusting in something that is bigger than you are. You are being a witness to them about the power of God. Again at 25, verse 25. Isn't it odd? Truly, I say to you, you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new, in the kingdom of God. Don't you draw hope from that? That those who trust in Jesus will one day drink of the vine with Him in glory? That this world is not all there is? That there is a day? And I think that Jesus, as He said this, is projecting onto His disciples, have this same mind among yourselves. That this world is not all that there is, and there is a day when we will be drinking of that. And we know that Jesus, as He was going to the cross, as we have read in the New Testament, that He suffered and He was able to suffer because He looked forward to the glory and to the hope that lied before Him. And one of the keys for us as we suffer is to look forward to the glory and the hope that lies before us. And what this does is this enables us to stay on mission because brother and sister, this world is not all that there is. The brokenness we experience now 
the brokenness that many of you are going through will one day come to an end. And that should empower us to be on mission and to move forward. And that even in the midst of our pain, that we can both show that we are trusting and leaning and gaining power from God, but that we can also love our neighbor in the midst of the chaos. That we're not a people that waits till the clouds part before we begin to do the work of God. Maybe God has you in the place that you are so that you can love a neighbor well. That's not all. That's not all that's dripping in this text. Look at verse 27 and 28. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it's written. And he quotes Zechariah, which is hope filled in and of itself that the prophecy in the Old Testament is coming true. And here's the prophecy. It's not a very um, hopeful one. I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I hope this next verse grips you like it's gripped me this week. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. You're all going to be scattered. You're going to betray me. And I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going ahead of you. We will meet again. I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. And some of us in here this morning, we need to hear this. We need to understand that even if you have walked away, even if you have taken steps away, even if you have handled poorly the difficulties that you're under, Jesus is here and is desiring for you to be restored. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. Even in the midst of sin. It was a sin to walk away from Jesus. And He wants you to know this morning. He wants you to know. I'm going before you. The only question is this. Will you trust Him? Is He worthy of your trust? He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. Colossians tells us not only is He above all things and before all things, but that He's holding all things together. There is no other being in the universe that is worthy of your trust than Jesus Christ. Who else are you going to trust in? Yourself? As you read this Bible, as you dig into this word, and you read about people like Joseph or Ruth or the disciples in the, in the epistles or Mary, they're not superheroes. The point of the narrative of the Bible is that you can't do it in your own strength. It's not about these men and women. It's about the God that they serve and the spirit that is inside of them and the spirit that enables them to walk forward. And so the goal this morning, the goal this morning is not for you 
to display to the world, look how well Lewis went through that trial. The goal this morning, the goal this morning is for you to yield to the Spirit. For you to yield to the power of God. To allow God to work through you. To trust in Him this morning. So that all who come in contact with you may be able to say and proclaim, God is at work. For some of you this morning, I just want to lay this out. We probably don't say this enough, but for some of you this morning who are going through some hard times, this is one of the reasons for our Stephen ministry. Is that we have other believers within the church who have gone through some training, who are equipped to walk alongside you as you're going through a difficulty so that you will know that you're not alone. And not only is the Spirit working in you, not only can you trust the sovereign Lord of the universe, but you've got some brothers and sisters that are willing to walk arm in arm with you as you go through a difficulty. For some of you this morning, as BJ gave his announcement about Celebrate Recovery, maybe that this is something that God wants you to partake of. For you to gather with other folks who are struggling, who are um, dealing with hurts and hang-ups and habits that are just not good and that are, that, are, that are ripping your soul apart and it may be that God may be calling you to join this group that starts on the 21st to again walk along with brothers and sisters and come to a place to where we're not going to hide anymore but we're going to proclaim God we trust you do the work in my life that's what celebrate recovery is we want to celebrate what God is doing but for all of us, for all of us, we need the daily reminder. Day by day, moment by moment, that God is in control and that He can be trusted. As we meet on Thursday and we partake of the Lord's Supper together, my hope and my prayer is that you would be reminded of the love of God and what He has done and how much He has loved you and that you, as you partake of the Lord's Supper on Thursday, that you would just be reminded that you can trust Him. The only question is, will you? Will you trust Him? Let's pray. God, help us. Help us. Help us to be a people who gain power from the knowledge of how great and awesome and mighty and sovereign that you are. And who yield to the Spirit. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But you've promised us that you'll never leave us. And in that, for that, we are ever thankful. In Jesus' name, through which all things are possible, we pray. Amen.